know, if you are like me and you feel that with the uh, election and inauguration of a new president, sort of like maybe 20% of your general uh, uh, anxiety has just disappeared or gone away, <laughs> there are some people you have to thank. And one of them is our guest today. So we're really excited about it. Tim, you want to introduce her? I'm so excited uh, to chat with our guest today. I used to uh, work with her and she was just the most capable, just the hardest working person I'd ever met. Like I just knew if I was in a meeting with her, if there was a project with her, I knew everything was going to go great. And it's probably going to be mostly because of her. <laughs> she was going to make everything uh, perfect. And um, although we used to work together um, this past year, she moved on to a, not just working for a presidential campaign, but a winning campaign. And I got to imagine that has to feel pretty, pretty fantastic. So Diana Chavez, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And then Tim, I'm very happy to be here. I know we've talked a little bit off and on, you know, in person, but can you share what just that, first of all, find, you know, being able to join the this you know campaign, but also what was the experience working for the campaign like? Yeah, absolutely. So um, last year around March, I found myself without a job, and I kind of I've never worked in politics. I've never worked in a campaign, um, but I kind of took some time to think about what is it that I want to do. I knew that it was 2020. I knew that stakes were high for the election, and that. Trump had to be voted out of office. Like, and I wanted to make sure that I did whatever I could to make sure that happened. <laughs> so I took some time and I just like reached out to the network that I had, expanded my network and say, hey, how can I like, where are they hiring? How do I find jobs for a specific campaigns? And little by little, I just like found out because I knew, I didn't know a lot of people who have worked for a presidential campaign. I knew of people who had worked on a campaign, but never at a presidential level. So I just had no clue what the hiring process was like. Um, so I was able to attend a webinar plug-in with different people who were working in the hiring process. And then just like, I sent out my resume wherever they would take it. Any website with the Democratic Party, like the state, the national, the campaign, I learned that there were all these different places where you would apply. And I just went like, all in. <laughs> I went all in and I said, I'm going to, I'm going to do whatever I can to get on a campaign. And if it doesn't work out, it's, it just didn't work out. Not because of me not trying my hardest, you know, like sometimes we shoot for the stars and land in the moon. That's yeah. kind of like what it's so cliche, but, <laughs> but that's what I was going for, you know? And yeah. I remember when I got the email that someone from the Biden campaign was interested in interviewing me. I looked at that and I had to look at that email a few times because I really could not believe it. I said, you know, like I'm an immigrant, I have DACA, we're used to things not going right. So when something does go right, it's just like, wait, is this really happening? Like I remember (laughs) texting my friends um, and saying, hey, I'm going to get an interview. Like I just really could not believe it. Yeah, so fast forward till... A couple weeks ago, you realized that the guy you worked for won. And how much satisfaction was there in that victory for you? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So (laughs) much satisfaction. Like, I was just so, it was such a relief. You know, like, I go, I work for a presidential campaign, and then we turn out and win. 
And like that win on a professional level, it was so amazing to say, hey, I have been part of a winning campaign, not mm. only of a presidential winning campaign, but a history making one. Like we had Kamala Harris in our ticket, the first woman to become VP, a black woman, like all of the things that are so meaningful to me as an individual, it just makes it so much better. And um, after the campaign, the um, the campaign sent everyone a letter that said, hey, you did this. We couldn't have done it without you. And you can mm. take this win mm. for the rest of your life. So yeah. it's, just, it, it's just so good to know that, hey, for the rest of my life, I can say I helped elect the first woman VP. I yeah. helped vote Trump out of office. Like, oh, my gosh, he made my life so merciful for like four years. Like the four years under Trump were awful. You talk about being stressed. Talk about that. Like I remember then it was a feeling of re- relief the day that Biden got sworn in. Then yeah. I don't have to like pick up my phone and check the news and say, what awful thing is Trump doing now in regards to immigration? Like, is he going to try to separate families again? Like that is something that I no longer have to worry about. Mm-hmm. And for that, I am so grateful. Yeah. Like the war continues. We have to push for immigration yeah. reform, but we're no longer on the defense. It's like we're going to move forward. And now it's like time to fight for the rights that the immigrant community deserves, especially in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. yeah well, the day after the election, you know, I'm I. I go out to the playground. My kids like to ride skateboards and bikes out there. And from a safe distance, I'll talk with some of the other people. And there was a black woman and we were just talking about the election. And she's like, you know, I, I grew up in Georgia. I spent my whole life here and my whole life. They were telling me my vote mattered and I didn't believe them, but because of the work some people did on this election, um, this time it did. And that was just such an emotional, I think so many people, who wanted to know, are we part of this American story? Are we part of this dream? Are we included? Um, From so many, like, you know, from our immigrant neighbors to black neighbors to, uh, you know, some of us who have been watching the news and being like, am I the only person seeing how crazy this is? Yeah. (laughs) Um, All of us are like, are we part of this story? Um, And so it was just a beautiful time to feel like, yeah, we are part of this story. And a lot of people who didn't think they were are part of it. And and so I just really appreciate that you had a part in that and, and that we get to talk with you a little bit about that today. So after that victory, you went on, there was a big, like, well-publicized, uh, very well-funded uh, runoff here in Georgia for senators and there was another name on the ticket, Daniel Blackman, and you worked on that campaign. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, yeah, so I, I had the opportunity to work as a, the Latinx outreach director. And then because it was a statewide runoff election, a lot of people weren't familiar with uh, Daniel's name and why his election mattered. So I was tasked with reaching out because in the middle of a pandemic, we did most, uh, most of it digitally but like just kind of teaching our community and like helping our community understand that, hey, um, your vote matters, show up for federal elections, but it is so important to also like show up for statewide elections. Um, And I think that's a work that needs to continue in off cycle years. 
where our community knows, like, you know, the example, the story that you were telling us about, like, hey, my vote really matters. Your vote matters to stay engaged matters because policy from a federal level all the way down to the local level will impact your life. And just kind of educating and like in letting people know how important it is for them to like show up and vote. I think it's the most important thing that we can all do. This election cycle in Winnet County, we voted for a new sheriff. The sheriff is the one in charge of implementing 287G. That policy alone has um, has affected our community and, and separated so many families that it's a huge win um, that many organizers have been working for for years. Um, and we saw the victory now. So I, it's so important to stay engaged and to kind of teach or or communities why it's so important to show up not only on presidential elections, but every election that there is. Yeah, that's a message we'll, we'll keep going back to, too. I think it's really important. Yeah, and especially on local issues, sometimes the winning margins are so small. Um, and even, even like on federal elections, like the two elections ago, the or Republican, District 7, the Republican uh, representative who won, uh, Woodall, he won his election by 700 votes. Wow. And that's why he didn't run last year in the 2020 election. He, deci- he decided to retire because the, the, the numbers were there that he more than likely was going to lose his election. And I, rem- and I mentioned earlier how I've been to DC three times. One, the first time that I was there, I met with his, with his staff and his staff member said, hey, yeah, you may have people in the ground, but they don't show up and vote. Uh, Woodall isn't going to listen to what you're asking for because those are not his voting. Uh, That's not like his base. Those are not the people who vote. And he's not concerned about losing his job because they don't show up and vote. Mm -hmm. Those are not the words that he used, but basically that's what he's letting me know, right? And And we showed that, hey, when you engage the community, they will show up and they vote and they will vote. And now District 7 is a democratic uh, um, district. So that's like, so that's another win from 2020 that it's like, (laughs) hey, I went from having all the Republican uh, elected officials to all Democratic elected officials, (laughs) president, (laughs) Senate, and House district. So, so good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's talk. Uh, This is a podcast about books. So uh, let's talk about books. Do you like when uh, things are real intense? uh, Is there stuff you read to get away? Do you read to engage? What's your like, what, what's the main role that reading plays in your life? Um, I read to engage. I prefer reading nonfiction books. Um, And kind of reading to learn more. I have a friend who writes poetry and she's like, hey, you should read some like fiction, you know, just read for fun. (laughs) But I'm like, I should be reading to learn something. Um, So her tip is to read a a little bit of fiction. Um, So maybe this year I'll try that when I have some time. But for the most part, I love reading nonfiction. I love reading um, books about what what my field is, which is digital marketing, and then just kind of staying up to date on what that is and like learning more tips um, and biographies. I love to learn from like people that I admire um, and seeing like, hey, 
what was their life like? What are the challenges that maybe they faced and how did they overcome them? And like, can I, can I learn from you? I may not be able to like have coffee with you, but like, what is it? What is one thing that I can learn from you yeah. through this book? So those are things that I read for the most part. What's a recent biography that has really cap- captured your attention? Oh my gosh, this is going to be so cliche, but I read Michelle Obama's book. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I love Michelle Obama. I know. So I like when the book came out um, and I think that's been a while and that I've been kind of busy. So I haven't had a time to read another oh, yeah. one, but um, that's one that I read awesome. and I just, you know, becoming, I, it, it kind of, it, it, I just wanted to know more about her life, you know, and see yeah. like, Hey, how did you get here? Or mm-hmm. like, what is it? And you know, we, what are the things that you have to deal with? And in her book, she talks about like getting upset because she didn't have time to like work out um, just because during the, one of the um, one of the elections that um, that Obama was running. I don't remember. I think it was on the state level. Um, she just said, hey, like he's working out. He's busy. He's not home. I have two kids to take care of. Mm. And then just talking about like, hey, no matter what, you have to take care of yourself find time to take care of yourself because if you don't take care of yourself, you're not going to be able to like do the work that you need to do. Mm. Um, and I think that as for me, as someone who's always on the run, who's always like busy doing something, you guys know that my nine year old sister lives with me. So it's like, Hey, no matter what, I need to be better about taking care of myself. Like (laughs) everybody has to do that, you know? (laughs) Um, so yeah, so that's one of one book that I that that I read. Another one was called Educated, and that's a, oh. a memoir that my friend gave me. And I keep telling my friend, but Alini, you guys know her. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she gave it to me for my birthday, and that was a great book. Like she just talks about her life and like where she came from, like a really small town, and she didn't even like go to school because of the family, like her family background, and how she like be like her her life and how she ended up being going to like an ivy league school mm-hmm. and that's just a perspective a different perspective you know so i enjoy I, I really enjoy that book as well yeah I, has there so um with your your kind of interest you know like you're really just you know your engagement in politics but not that not just that like your community as well just being really active in that area were there any books along the way that kind of helped propel you in that direction that kind of helped inspire you to move that way was there any yeah was reading kind of involved in any of that um I don't know I don't think there was a specific book it was more um like that's just kind of like what I'm passionate about right and I viewed my reading as a way to kind of prepare me Mm -hmm. and like kind of help me build my skills to do the work that I'm passionate about um to do it more effectively how is it that I can help an advocacy group be more effective with their message. So that's why I try to read a lot of those books. Like sometimes I might be, I I might say it a little obsessed of like, Hey, what's the best way to like do storytelling and like read a book. So maybe about two years ago, I read a book called the power of moments and how do you, and you know, it's kind of, how do you talk about a moment in a way that, connects with people. And I, 
I may use that down the line, you know, like as I'm working on some social graphic or writing an email and thinking about like, what is the moment that I'm trying to communicate to help people, like to ask to make sure that people understand why it's important to take action. Deanna, you are, you're in communications. You're clearly an effective communicator um, since, you know, you helped the president win. (laughs) (laughs) One small part in that. It was a huge team. Give you all the credit. It's all you. (laughs) When did you know, I want to tell stories? This is what I'd like to do is tell stories. Was there a time when that became clear to you or an early thing you read or some, some way you moved into that? Um, so when I was in high school, I first wanted to become a lawyer. Um, so, you know, like, I was like, hey, I've always known that I wanted to, like, fight for justice. I wanted to fight for people who, like, needed, needed support. Like, hey, if, if something is wrong, it takes people to make it right. Um, things just don't go right on its own, you know? So that's why we continue to fight for justice. So I've always been drawn to that. Like, hey, how can I help? How can I be um, of influence? And because of my immigrant status being DACA, I I went to college before DACA ever existed. So here in Georgia, it costs three times as much, right? So I'm like, okay, I may not be able to make it to law school for personal uh, circumstances, what other, what else can I do? So I decided, I, I decided to study journalism. Um, I, I love researching. I love reading. I love like keeping, like analyzing and saying, Hey, why is this happening? Um, and then with time as like my career happened, I, I got plugged in into digital communications and Hey, what's the best way to communicate with people? Now it's not through an article that a, journal, that, a, that a journalist writes, but it's an email. Like, how can you connect um, people with a mission? And so it's, I, I, I began to learn the importance of storytelling. Um, and it's very important to me. I think that we need more people of color, more people who have lived the experience to tell the stories. Because a lot of times, there's well-meaning people that use our stories as a way to make us feel like make us look like oh look at this person feel bad for you should feel bad for them and you should like give no i don't need you to feel bad for me i need you i need you to take action because taking action will benefit you as much as me i don't need it's 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 not charity work right like it's more than charity work a community that um, that is safe. When we honor those who, and we fight for those who are more vulnerable in our community, it benefits all of us. Um, I think that that is something that I've, I'm, I'm, I look forward to continue working in storytelling and like showing people that, hey, all of our stories are intertwined and what happens to me will eventually impact you. What happens to, um, to essential workers in the middle of a pandemic, like you should care about it, right? Like why should they make, like why is it important to get, to get paid 15 hours and, $15 an hour? Hey, they're essential workers and like they shouldn't have to work three or four jobs in order to provide for their family. Um, so, you know, I think it's, 
driving that narrative of like how do you how do you connect with people in a way that makes a difference well so uh uh alini the friend you mentioned earlier who uh has also guest hosted this podcast a couple of times who told you uh you needed to read fiction <laughs> so let's say in the next year diana you you break your own rules and go out and get a couple fiction books have you looked at any titles or anything that's interesting to you that you'd like to read I have not. I should okay. look at that and maybe you guys can give me some advice or like recommendations of what I should be reading. Uh, my sister, who's nine years old, she's very obsessed with Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think I read like maybe 10 pages of Harry Potter two weeks ago because I was reading <laughs> to her. <laughs> I've never read the Harry Potter books. <laughs> yeah. So um, maybe I'll start with her. And talk yeah. about what those books are, because I know that people are obsessed with them. <laughs> yeah, I have a, I have a six-year-old and a four-year-old, and I have not read. I'm I consider myself fairly well read, and I have you know co-hosts of book podcasts. I've never read any of the Harry Potter books. Um, I grew up with Chronicles of Narnia, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter came out a little, like I was just a little too old to be interested in it when it came out. And then uh, I saw it like grow as a cultural phenomenon. And then eventually I was like, well, I'll have kids. And when they get to a certain age where they're interested in it, <laughs> my six-year-old is not even remotely interested in Harry Potter. Like we go to the bookstore. I'm like, I should really catch up on this. We go to the bookstore. I'm like, how about these books? He's like, no, I'm not interested in those. <laughs> So we've been reading Roald Dahl instead, which is like James and the Giant Peach and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Those are like a little more, uh, I don't know, mischievous. But yeah, I still haven't read Harry Potter either. I'm sure Tim's read all of them. No, uh, you know, for whatever reason, I read about 10 years ago, I read the first five. And like, they're 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 pretty good. Like, and they get as, as um, Harry Potter, you know, as... Every year is supposed to be like another year in school. And so they progressively become more mature and um, more kind of uh, the stakes get higher. Um, so they get really interesting. And for whatever reason, I, I never read the last two. I don't know why. So I need to I need to eventually do that. But, yeah, they're a lot of fun. And we have them. Our kids haven't really started reading them yet. I think there's an interest. But um, but uh, what, what I have read, though, I've, I've really enjoyed a lot. Yeah, so maybe I'll I'll do that. But yeah, I should I should I should at least read one nonfiction book this year. That should be my goal. Like, hey, so what one what book should I read? You guys give me a recommendation and I might read it. Oh gosh. So I have one here. So what I do is I make coffee every morning. And before what I was doing was I was going into the kitchen. And then I use a Chemex, so it takes about 15 minutes. It's a whole process, right? Start the water heating, measure the coffee, grind it, all that. And I would browse Facebook and get real angry at the beginning of my day. That's how I'd like start. I was like, yeah, because <laughs> before you did your magic, I was still like looking at my phone and being like, what did Trump do today? <laughs> or last night while I was sleeping. Um, what are my racist relatives saying online? <laughs> so, I, so then I decided, what if... In that time, I forced myself, leave my phone in my room, put a book in the kitchen, and during that 15 minutes while I'm making coffee, between things, I read through a short story. And so I had this book on my shelf from a long time ago. There's a publisher called New Directions um, that does a lot of, like, really interesting and sort of edgy fiction, uh, current and past. 
But uh, they have translated this Brazilian author named Clarice Lispector. And her stories are just fascinating, uh, sort of simple, focused stories on the experiences and lives of um, women in different circumstances. And she was sort of, she came from a really hard background. She was an immigrant to Brazil. She had a Jewish family that was fleeing uh, persecution. And... um, so they grew up pretty poor, and she became like a fashion editor in Brazil, a prominent prominent figure in the fashion scene, and then began to write these stories um, and became one of the uh, most influential and globally well-known uh, authors in Portuguese of of fiction. So I've been reading her stories and I find they're like these really, like there are a lot of sentences and analogies where it's like leading towards something. And then the analogy she gives is not what you expect at all. So she plays with language. She plays with experience. She's always twisting your perception. So the um, complete stories of Clarice Lispector are what I'm working through. I highly recommend those. If you're, if short stories are your thing, that's what I do every, every morning I read one of those. That sounds like an amazing recommendation. I should start doing that. Read in the morning. Don't pick up your phone and look look at the news. (laughs) Um, Maybe maybe I should start with those. Short story. Yeah, short stories. And Lydia Davis, too, is another short story writer. A lot of her short stories are like a page long or a paragraph long. And uh, those are great, too, while I'm making coffee. Sometimes I'll finish two or three, and they're just these, like, yeah, just crystal clear observations about interactions between people, about how we lo- use language, about uh, her book Samuel Johnson is Indignant, which I just finished, is about uh, what it feels like getting older, <laughs> which, so, uh, yeah, there are a lot of a lot of short stories that can kind of open up, they activate my imagination in the mornings, and then once I get into the day, I have a little more spark. So I think, yeah, I think Alini's right. Alini gave you good counsel. Fiction sort of gets your mind going in new directions that yeah. maybe Facebook, at least for me, wasn't, yeah. wasn't doing. <laughs> Check with me in six months and see, okay. hey, how, how many nonfiction short stories have you read in six months? Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's do that. Yeah. Tim, how about you? You reading anything good? So yeah, but I feel bad. None of them right now are fiction. <laughs> I don't have any fiction books at the moment, but I, I'll share a couple that I've read um, recently. Uh, there's one I just finished um, called "The Prince of Frogtown" um, by this author named Rick Bragg. Have you ever read Rick Bragg in or Dion? I haven't. Okay, he's like the Southern writer, and I've always this is gonna sound bad. Because he, the book was actually fantastic, but I've always kind of been turned off because he had kind of this like southern bravado, like if you don't, if you didn't grow up shooting BB guns at you know cans on a thing, you're not a real man, you know that sort of thing. And I, I just don't have time for that. I don't care, you know. Like I'm like, I, no one's trying to show off and imp- like, and so that's kind of his his thing, like his you know shtick. But this book, um, it's one of three, I guess, kind of memoirs about his life, and this is one about. Um, um, so his father, when he was young, kind of left. And then this is him kind of actually exploring his father's life and learning that his dad wasn't like this one dimensional person, you know, that he was a complicated human being. And anyways, and so, um, I received this book around Christmas time and, you know, it was right after my dad had passed and 
not that I had that thought of my dad as a one-dimensional character, but I definitely had this idea of like, okay, he left, you know, when I was younger, I just had this, this kind of image of him in my head, um, you know, just an absent father, not really around that sort of thing. And reading this and kind of like exploring the idea that maybe he was this person to you, but that doesn't mean that was the whole of him. That was all of him. And that, um, so it was, it was a hard book, but it was also a really good book, but it was kind of hit this guy, this author's journey. And, and I've been kind of wrestling with that the last couple of months as far as, you know, can someone be a, a not a good dad, but also be a really complicated and, and maybe a good, even a good person, you know, like, cause you know, there are a lot of people that really love my dad. He was really great for a lot of people. And so just kind of wrestling with that. And, um, so I, I, I loved this book and just what he kind of, this sort of going back through history and kind of talking to people about his father and, um, really, really amazing book. Um, which is not fiction, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, And then also, I'm, I'm in the middle right now, not even in the middle, I guess, just started, which you guys may have read before, The Devil's Highway um, by Luis Alberto Urea. And um, it's kind of like this, per, really, it's nonfiction, so it's it's a storytelling, but a way to kind of show the atrocity of like our immigration system and our border policies. And it's about, um, in 2001, a group of men crossed our border um, they all got lost in the desert and it's just this horrible, just tragic, heartbreaking story. And he really goes into these, uh, individuals pasts and lives and you learn more about them and learn more about what happened to them along this trek. And in a, in a really poetic and, and, and really interesting way, he uses this story to kind of reveal all of our incredible flaws as our immigration system and our, just our atrocious policies, um, and so much that needs to change. And this came out in 2003 or four, maybe. And if reading it now, it, it's, it's hard. It's really crazy to think like, Oh, this could have been written now. Like nothing's changed. You know, this is still, things are horrible. Anyway. So it's, it's been, it's one of those books that kind of does kind of what you're you know talking about Deanna, like really rich, um, engaging storytelling, but to communicate and show, um, just all these flaws kind of in, in the way we do things as a nation, um, so it's, I'm, I'm not very far into it, maybe 50 or 60 pages, but it is, it is fantastic. It's been really, really interesting and really great. And I think it, it even won, did it win? Uh, oh, it was a Pulitzer Prize finalist, but yeah, it's just, it won a lot of awards and just really got a lot of attention, but that's one I'm, I'm reading right now and really, really love. Yeah. So I was thinking I have a, I want maybe from both of you. Uh, can respond to this. So I was on another podcast recently. They interviewed my uh, uh, my wife and me about some of the work we do in our neighborhood, and uh, they were asking they were asking me like, what what books should practitioners in community development be reading? Mm. And my answer it was probably a bad answer, but it was an honest. <laughs> I was like, I don't really read books directly in my field. I find mentors and then I read books I like. <laughs> but so how for you, so each of you are in, uh, in working in areas where there's a lot of emotional weight with that. Um, and there's a lot of uh, technical, it sounds like Deanna, you favor you'll go ahead and read books that are right about exactly what you're working in and get a lot from them. Is that, is that how you feel about literature? Uh, Tim, are you that same way? I don't, I might be the weird one out here. That's a good question. I'm kind of a mix. I'd probably 
lean more towards what you you're you're um you're thinking about it, Ian. I feel like I learn more by example and kind of I don't know, watching others or or just the wisdom of others. Um, I guess there are sometimes where I'll, I'll find specific books if I want to learn about like the history of something or um, maybe maybe things that that would would help kind of what I'm doing. I don't know if I've read anything specifically like dealing with you know the kind of you know activism and advocacy that we're working on. Maybe not. I don't know. I think more a lot of it's more to kind of help build that up in the sense of like learning about the history of certain things or learning about. But I don't know if it's so much about how how to do that. I feel like a lot of that I'm I still don't. I mean it's just fumbling in the dark. I don't know. Yeah. Just learning along <laughs> the way, trying to be a good neighbor. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's, a, it's tough. But I think, yeah. yeah, maybe a lot of it's just, yeah, the breaking, like learning about the foundational issues, like, um, you know, just the, just the injustices in our system, like white supremacy, just all these kind of these background, but kind of foundational things to kind of help, help kind of be that lens you view a lot of what's going on around you. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you say you find mentors and then read for fun, you know? Um, yeah, I think that for me, I guess because it has been kind of more difficult to find mentors in the things that I like care about where, um, you know, like I spent eight years going, yeah, maybe seven, eight years in a, a Christian environment where I thought I belonged and that I was fully welcome. But then as Trump started his um, his campaign and then, you know, under his presidency that I like started realizing, wait a second, I may not be fully welcome here. I may be more like tolerated, but there are certain things that I'm just not, I'm not, they're not, they're not here for it. And like, mm. if I say or ask certain things of them, they're just not willing to do that. Um, so like mentors in a way that like, that's why maybe I've gravitated to books where I can learn from because I haven't been able, unfortunately to find like that mentorship of like, Hey, here's the way that you can go. Or like, here's how you can like do X, Y, and C. Um, so I think that's an interesting take of like everyone's, um, life experience where sometimes the only way to find, guidance might be from like reading someone else's book which is great right that's what those books are there for um so yeah that's 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 an interesting yeah that is that's a really interesting answer and really powerful i think to think about is that is that what what books do is they give us like sort of a universal resource right and there was yeah there was a time before before i was in my field where books would have to kind of point the way to something before I realized it was a possibility. Mm. Right. Well, that's, yeah. Thanks, Deanna. That was yeah. really good to think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as you were talking about, like, I know going back to what you guys were talking about of like what you're currently reading. Um, I may have not mentioned this, but um, I'm reading Braving the Wilderness by Brene Brown. Oh, yeah. Um, and it, you know, it just talks about how kind of how you the, the fight for true belonging and like how you stand in the wilderness mm. and um, and just thinking about like as an eight, I'm an Enneagram eight. Right. So like vulnerability 
it's hard for me, you guys. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, even like talking to people or like people who I trust, like that's something that like it's hard for me. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I find comfort in like maybe my first step on vulnerability is like picking up a book about it and like reading it and then maybe dissecting it and then like reaching out to like maybe some people who I like have a friendship with and I like, can trust and talking about it. Um um, in that way. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I think there's a truth to that too. Like ideas that are dangerous or hard or processes that are dangerous or hard to go through. Sometimes a book can go ahead of us without there being like, I'm, I'm one of the things for, for those of us with a lot of blind spots about like uh, racism or, or systems that are at work in our culture, if we've been blind to it for a lot of, a lot of our lives, I think Tim mentioned this too. Like if you read a book, it gives you a chance to feel that grief and anger and uh, without like forcing a good friend to do that labor for you. (laughs) I don't know. Or like, yeah, or uh, yeah, it's a way to, to find a mentor, I think without burdening someone who, so you can get to a certain point where you're ready to interact with people on it or ready to, I don't know. Literature has done that for me in a lot of ways. So you just got me thinking with your answer on that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, hopefully thinking in a good way, in a way that yeah. leads to a better place. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, sure. definitely. I, I'm, I've been curious, like, so you, you worked on this just really phenomenal campaign how, what's like the next step? Like what are your kind of goals or aspirations for kind of what comes next? Is there anything you're specifically looking into pursuing? What do you hope, what are your hopes for, you know, the coming years as far as um, jobs and just working, you know, like on, you know, community activism? Um, so for the coming years, I would love to get a job on a national, ideally national organization because those are the ones that are going to be connected with policy. But I'm very, in, I'm very interested in working in policy and driving that, like, hey, how are we going to advocate this administration to drive immigration reform? Like, what, are the, what is the, mess, the most effective way that we're going to be able to message that um, to make it a reality? We've been trying, like, this week the DREAM Act was introduced again. Yeah. And for the... I don't even know how many times that when like I lost count, but I've heard of that for 20 years. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. Like, can we just make it a law? Can that just happen? <laughs> um, and then, you know, so I would love to be able to go on and like work in one of those organizations. I do want to stay in the political sphere. Like I think I'm like hooked, you know, um, I've always, I've always loved politics. I've always loved, um, you know, staying up to date, watching the news and all of that. But because I didn't know how to get there, it just seemed like an unattainable dream. Like, hey, how would I ever get plugged in into a political campaign? How would I ever do that? And somehow I was able to, like, make it a reality that even, like, now that we're talking and, like, Biden is president, there it's it's crazy to me that I'm like, oh, yeah, I did that. Like, yes, <laughs> I, I worked in a presidential campaign. Like, I'm still kind of like pinch me like, yeah, that's true. Like that's on my resume now. Um, it's, it's wild. Um, so I, I just want to build on that of like, Hey, 
making, I would love to be able to work for candidates that I believe in and that like, I know that a difference, that they're, they have the potential to make a difference. Um, so I'm, that's kind of like in the coming years, hopefully that now, like in many years down the road, I would love to like go live in DC and like working from DC, um, you know, for personal reasons, I might not be doing, I might not be able to do it like this year or next year. Um, but that's something that I would like love to do. And then, you know, just sometimes we plan things and then like there are accidents that happen or tragedies that happen. And then you just get immediately plugged in. So like last week there was a nitrogen leak in a poultry plant in Gainesville, Georgia. Um, and because I have friends who do on the ground advocacy work there, we, I was already plugged in and then we just jump into action. They were like, Hey, this is what happened. What can we do? And I just started helping that. So currently I'm working on that and it's like, how can we, how can we help the Gainesville poultry uh, community to give them the resources that they need, the information that they need so they know their rights. And um, a lot of them are very scared because of there's an, it's, they're immigrants and they're just scared of retaliation and like, being on the ground supporting them and saying hey we're here for you we are here to like support you and to make sure that your needs are met um and you know so like i i think that there are times where things just come up and then you find yourself doing the work um but it's still work that it's important and it's work that it's affecting people's lives right now and you know like I'm 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 glad that i'm I'm, I'm able to do that, that say, hey, I may not get paid for any of this, but I'm willing to work until 3 a.m. to make sure that these workers have the information that they need. Um, I consider that a privilege. Well, yeah, we really appreciate, we've been reading about that story in the news, and we really appreciate you being on the front lines and being able to connect with you. Um, uh, what's the best way for people to give or support those families in the aftermath of this tragedy? Yeah, so the best way to support, we have a GoFundMe page. And like you said, you'll li- link to it on your description and on your um, other social medias and stuff. We also have a cash app and a GoFundMe, um, and I'm sorry, not a GoFundMe, a PayPal account. Um, so there are different ways that you can donate. Um, okay. You can also just follow Georgia Familias Unidas, and that's where we're going to be providing all of the updates that we have as we move forward with our work. We really, Tim and I are both going to make donations uh, uh, on this uh, uh, disaster that you've been working on, um, and we'll put links up for our listeners to do that as well. Um, But yeah, this has been a great conversation. We're really thankful that you're here with us. Yeah, thank yeah, you so thank much. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure talking to you guys. I really enjoyed it. And I have a challenge from this conversation. Read more fiction books. 